Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want you to open them to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 12 together and focus most of our time on verses 3 through 9. A couple of weeks ago, we finished up our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week, we shared in the Lord's Supper together. It was the first day we were back to Sunday school. And uh, we shared the Lord's Supper together, looking forward to being uh, with one another as a whole in Sunday school. And today, we're anticipating Thanksgiving and Easter, the Advent, not Easter, heaven mercy. We skipped Easter, in case y'all didn't know it. We thought we were going to be back on Easter, and here we are. It's Christmas time. We're not going to Easter. We're going to Christmas. And so the advent of Christmas is right before us. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take uh, just some standalone messages that uh, will hopefully encourage us in our circumstances in which we are now in as a church and also as a nation or as a world. I want you to understand that I believe in my lifetime we live in a more confused and conflicted place than we've ever lived before. Certainly in our political atmosphere, we are in a, in a, in a confused and a conflicted meth, uh, mess at the moment. Uh, but also in the church, we seem to be confused and conflicted among denominations, among even Christian groups. There seems to be a lot of confusion and conflict among us. Where are we supposed to do? What are believers supposed to do in the midst of confusion and conflict all around us? We could think about things that come to our mind immediately that exist as confusing, confusing and conflicted in our political atmosphere. Even today, we don't know for sure who our president is. We don't even know if we ought to be wearing masks or not wearing masks. Is the virus real? Is it not real? What are we supposed to be doing as a church? Who are we supposed to believe? What are we supposed to do with this fear that's inside of our hearts about uh, our health and the well-being of our community and those people that we love? All of us have a lot of opinions, but it seems as if in the midst of the opinions, there's very little truth around us. And so since there is very little truth, we tend to live inside of confusion and, and conflict, even among brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to be assured to know that this is not the first time that the church has been found in the midst of confusion, confusion and conflict. This is not the first time that the church has had to walk through a difficult time. This is not the first time by any stretch of the means that the church has had to experience a difficult season. Peter is writing this epistle, 1 Peter, to a church that is experiencing confusion and difficulty or confusion and conflict. Peter writes this letter before Nero becomes emperor. He writes this letter before Nero comes into power. If you know anything about church history, anything about history in this day and period, you know that Nero was a bad man. You need to know nothing else except this. Nero would light Christians on fire on a stake in his garden so that he could walk among his garden at night. Nero is the meanest, cruelest leader I think that we could ever imagine having to live under. And Peter is writing this letter to a church right before they are beginning to, they will experience the Neronian persecution. And so you can understand that Peter is writing this letter to a church that was confused and maybe conflicted about what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to live. 
I think it suits us well to consider what Peter has to say to this church and and maybe we can find the same anchors that Peter places in the life of this church. Maybe we can find the same anchors and so we will find ourselves not as confused and discouraged as maybe we are before we look at this word this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 12 because, believe it or not, in the original language, verses 3 through 12 is one sentence. So I'm going to read it in its entirety for the sake of context, but we're really going to spend our time this morning just looking at verses 3 through 9. So let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. God, would you help us, Lord, as we live in a world that is it is confusing, God, and conflict seems to swirl all around us. And as a result, God, there is discouragement sometimes that, that begins to seep in into the life of the follower of Christ. God, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to see these anchors that Peter offers the church, God, and And Lord, to help anchor ourselves in these same practices, in these same disciplines, in these same focus, God. Help us, God, to to anchor ourselves inside of them. So, Lord, no matter what goes on around us, God, or what our circumstances might be, Lord, even if it be difficulty and trials to test the genuineness of our faith, Lord, may we be found as people filled with hope. God, we are. We are a hope-filled people. We anticipate not tomorrow, Lord, but we anticipate a future eternity in the presence of you. God, let us, let us be reminded, God, of the beauty of that hope that we have through the salvation of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, even now, as we look through this passage, Lord, help us. Help us, God, to find an anchor in the midst of confusion, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of discouragement. We love you, Lord. We pray and ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
The first thing I want you to see comes from that first verse that we read, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that Peter encourages the church to do here is something that we have just participated in. It's something that we have just practiced. Peter is saying here that you ought to bless the name of God, right? Blessed be the name of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New International Version translates that word blessed as praise be. So it says, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word that is used there for blessed or praise is the the Greek word that we get our English word eulogy from. So what what Peter is saying is make a eulogy about God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say good things about God, the Lord and Father of our Savior Jesus Christ. Peter is telling them here on the beginning to, to make sure that worship is a practice that they are participating in. To make sure that they are worshiping, make sure they are saying good things about the Lord, that they are worshiping Him through praise, that they are blessing the name of God. We talk a lot about how God blesses us, don't we? We even ask that of God. We say, God, would you bless us when we pray to God? We say, God, would you bless our lives? Would you bless our families? Would you bless our churches? But here it is, a picture of the church being instructed to bless their God. And the way that we are instructed to bless our God is through the worship or saying good words and good things about Him. You may not consider those 23 minutes that we just spent singing unto God anything significant. It may not have been real significant to you what we just stood and sang to the Lord, but I want you to know it is significant to God. God has instructed us to be worshipers. He has instructed us to praise with our lips. He has instructed us to sing out unto Him because God knows what Peter knows that it reminds us of the great hope that we have. You see, worship focuses us on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. As we sing things like Jesus, 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 we are reminded of the precious hope that we have in the salvation that comes through Him. When we declare things like Jesus, 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 it presses away those things like Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC. When we focus our hearts on the Savior of the world, it pushes away all of those worries and anxieties that we might have in our lives. So as Peter is writing to a church who very soon will be burned at the stake as candles in a garden, he says, don't forget to bless the name of the Lord. Don't forget to praise the name of the Lord. Don't forget to celebrate the name of the Lord. Listen, what I'm telling you is what we have just participated in those last 23 minutes, it is significant to our Savior, but it is significant for your spiritual walk. It is the thing that will focus your heart on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We need it. We need it. And Peter is reminding this church Don't forget to bless the Lord as it is what focuses your hope on the Lord and His work. Peter continues, though, in the latter part of verse 3. Look with me. This second thing, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, he not only says that we ought to worship because it focuses us on our hope, but second, he says, be reminded of your rebirth. He uses the the picture here of a rebirth or being born again. We might say in our language, being saved or our salvation experience. You see, as Peter is writing to this church that finds themselves in the midst of confusion and conflict, there is one thing that is not confusing. And that is what Jesus Christ has done for the salvation of man. So he says, focus your hearts, focus your hearts on your rebirth because it is the very thing that brings about the hope that you can find rest in. This idea of being born again, it sounds strange to anyone that has not been in the church for very long. It sounds odd to talk about being born again, but this was not Peter's words. These were the words of Jesus Christ himself, right? You remember whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus late at night. Remember that account in John chapter 3? We are told that Nicodemus wanted to come and ask some more questions about Jesus and, and the salvation that he was saying that he had to offer But Nicodemus didn't want to be seen by the scribes and the Pharisees. So he came to Jesus at night. He snuck in under the dark of the night. And he sat down with Jesus. And he began to ask Jesus how one would be saved. And Jesus tells him just this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a man must be born again if he wants to enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus does what any of us did before we were saved. Nicodemus does what the world does. Nicodemus probably kind of chuckles a little bit, and he says, what do you mean a man must be born again? Must I enter into the womb of my mother again? That's impossible, Lord. And Jesus says, no, you must be born not of the flesh. You've already been born of the flesh. But he says, you must be born of the Spirit. You see, there's another birth that happens And that other birth that happens in our lives, that rebirth or that being born again, it is not another birth of the flesh. It is a birth of the Spirit. You see, what happens when we are born again is is that the dead of our trespasses passes away and the life of the Spirit enters into our very soul. This is what it means to be born again. It means to be in possession of the Holy Spirit and no more the dead of trespasses and the dead of our flesh. You are born again means that you have the Spirit living in you, which is why Peter says, look what he says, according to his great mercy, he's caused you to be born again to what? He says you are born again to a living hope. It is the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Being born again to the Spirit is what allows us to have a hope that is living. It is not only living today, but it is living for everlasting to everlasting forever and ever. The Spirit of God will never fade away. The Spirit of God will never lose its power. The Spirit of God will never be removed from us. It will stay with us from everlasting to everlasting. So we have, brothers and sisters, a hope that cannot die because we've been born again you you see we have a hope among us that will never depart from us because we have been born again we have within us the very spirit of God the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead and it will never never leave us and so our hope it is not a dead hope or a hope that will pass away it is not a hope that a November can change it is not a hope that will pass from our uh, our minds ever and ever it is a living hope 
Peter says. In the midst of confusion and conflict, he says, don't forget to worship. Don't forget to bless the name of the Lord. Don't forget to celebrate the salvation of Jesus. And don't forget what got you here. Don't forget where your hope came from. You see, my hope didn't come from a man. Therefore, my hope cannot be taken from man. My hope was not granted to me from a man. And therefore, there is no man that can take my hope from me. There are no circumstances, Peter is saying, that can take this living hope from you. You have been born again. There is even no death that can strip you of your living hope. Does Peter know? Does Peter know that some of these Christians that he's writing to will be burned at the stake? Does, Christian, does, does Peter know the, 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 the persecution of the Christians that he's writing to? I believe he does. He knows that they live in the midst of confusion. He knows that they live in the midst of conflict, but he wants to remind them, don't forget, you are not born of this flesh. You have been born of the Spirit. It is God that lives inside of you. You see, the reborn or being born again, it brings us our hope. But then look what he says next. He says a forward vision anticipates our hope. Look at what he says in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, again, Peter is using these two verses to remind us that our hope is not something that is easily taken from us. If we, in fact, are born again... If Jesus, in fact, is worthy to be worshipped, then what he also says about our future must be true. And what does Jesus say about our future? Well, through the Spirit here, he tells Peter that our future is imperishable. You see, what awaits us is imperishable, which means it will never pass away. It will never fade away. It will never be corrupted. What about that? Our inheritance is imperishable. There is never going to be any corruption in our inheritance. Now, opposite of that is a human inheritance. And a human inheritance is certainly perishable, or we might say corruptible. Think about our current circumstances. Think about where we are as a nation, but not even today. The political atmosphere of our world has always been corruptible. It has always been corrupted. It has always been difficult to find any true honest men in the midst of these areas because the circumstances in which our nation was even founded was founded on fallen men. You see, it's fallen men who are trying to do the best they can, maybe. But since it is founded on fallen men, it will have corruption in it. So we ought not be surprised. But thanks be to God that our hope has no corruption inside of it. There is no corruption in the kingdom of God. The legislative, executive, and judicial branch, they are founded on the the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is no corruption in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our kingdom will forever stand imperishable without any 
at all corruption. Where you place your hope, where is your hope anchored? Is it in the living hope through the salvation or the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Or is it in a human hope, a human hope that is perishable and corruptible and is defilable and is fading? You see, Peter is talking to these people who are about to experience some difficult circumstances by their human government. He is saying, make sure you have not placed your hope in that human government because if you have placed your hope in the human government soon and very soon, he will place you on stakes and he will burn you to death. No, that's not where your hope is. Your hope is in an inheritance. And it's not a human inheritance. It's an inheritance given to us by God that is incorruptible, that has no perishability to it, that will stand forever and ever. He says it is imperishable. He says that it is undefiled. He says that it is unfading. See, the unfortunate fact of human established governments is, is that they are established by humans. The unfortunate fact of human established governments is is that history has shown us that from time to time they fall. They fade away. They are defiled. But there is one kingdom that will stand forever. And our hope as those who have salvation in Jesus Christ, it must come from that future vision of that eternity with our God, that place that has been prepared for those who trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ, keeping our minds focused on the eternal promise of heaven. It should remind us that there are better days ahead of us, Christians. There are better days ahead of us regardless of what might be before us. The last thing I want you to see is how Peter says that this church ought to respond. Look at what he says in verse 6 and 7. In this, your salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, The tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says. How will you respond to the days that are before you if they are confused and conflicted how will you respond to the days that are before you and what will they communicate to the world about where you have placed your faith and in what you have hope for Peter declares that we are to rejoice in the trials and in the troubles Peter brings us back to where we began. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't he? He says, be found the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A heart that is filled with worship in the midst of trials will slowly see the trials fade away and the worship of the Lord rise to the top. Well, there is no doubt We will face more confusion 
and more conflict as we live in this fallen world. Our hope has never been and should not be in the absence of confusion and conflict. Our hope is living and in anticipation of a better world that is to come, a greater kingdom than anyone that can be established by man. Peter will soon tell this church in 1 Peter chapter 2 that they are aliens, that they are sojourners, that they are exiles. You see, what Peter wants these church to know is the same thing he would want us to know. This is not our home. This is not where I belong. My home is in another place, a place that is imperishable, undefiled, and cannot fade away. My home is the kingdom of God because I've been born again. My home is not of this place. So I put my hope in the one that has a place secured for me in heaven. That's where my living hope resides. And yet here we are now, in the midst of confusion and conflict. What do we do? Well, I think Peter tells us we worship, we remind ourselves of being born again, we focus on the eternal promise of heaven, and we see the world only as our temporary struggle, a temporary time. Three ways you can respond. Worship. If you put your heart on the worship of our God, the, tri the trials and tribulations of this world will fade away. Consider where you've placed your hope. Have you placed your hope on a man? Have you placed your hope in another place? If you place your hope on the right set of circumstances, all of those things will disappoint us from time to time. But if we place our hope in God, if we place our hope in His eternity and in His kingdom, He will never, never, never disappoint you. Worship Him. Consider where you're placing your hope. And finally, focus your heart on the kingdom. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount. We came across a passage of Scripture about the way we see the world. You may remember that. We came across a passage of Scripture about the way we see the world. We were reminded by Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount that we ought to see the world with kingdom minds, not with temporary eyes. So here we are again. Church, we've got to see the world with kingdom minds and not temporary eyes. The kingdom of God, that is, our, that is our responsibility. The gospel, proclaiming it, that's what the job that we've been given to do. Kingdom perspective, that's what Peter is saying to this church. If you're in the midst of confusing and conflicting times, a kingdom perspective, that's what you need. Focus your heart on the kingdom. Consider where you're placing your faith. And above all, worship him. Worship him as it will take your eyes off of all the trials and the tribulations and it will put it on the only one that will never disappoint you and that is the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are in a confusing and a conflicted time brothers against brothers, sisters against sisters. Children of God stand against children of God. Got a lot of us, Lord, we're discouraged, God. 
because of the direction that we see. We're discouraged, God, because the church hasn't come back. We're discouraged, God, because of where we are as a nation. But, God, I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, that this is not the first time the church has been here. And we can look back. We can look back like to Peter's encouragement. Be reminded of a living hope that we have. Be reminded, Lord, to, to worship you. To recenter our lives on our rebirth, God. To focus, God, our hearts on not this world, but the world that is to come. Lord, let us, let us be heavenly-minded people. Let us be heavenly-minded people, God, so we can be earthly good. Whereas we stand and we worship in this moment, God, we need you to help us to focus our hearts and our eyes on your kingdom, God. Let us find rest and peace in your worship in this moment. Lord, whatever it is that your spirit needs to do among us, God, I pray that your spirit would do it, Lord, that your spirit would speak, that our hearts would be soft, we would hear you speak, and we would respond, Lord, if necessary. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. And we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's